Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today has spent over 30 years in the financial service industry, in particular the insurance and reinsurance sector. We're going to have a fascinating discussion today about how the reinsurance industry fared during the pandemic, what are the changes in the risk landscape and what lies ahead for the sector, told by the CEO of Reinsurance of one of the largest, if not the largest, reinsurance company in the world. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Moses Ojesekoba is the Chief Executive Officer of Swiss Re Reinsurance and a member of the Group Executive Committee. He joined Swiss Re at the beginning of 2012, where he was appointed the Chief Executive Officer of Reassurance Asia. In fact, he was the Regional President for Asia, as well as a member of the Group Executive Committee back then. As mentioned, Moses has worked in the business for over 30 years, which started in the Prudential Insurance Company of America in 1990. He has held a number of high-level leadership positions in other organizations to include Unico America Corporation and the Chubb Group of Insurance Companies, where, before joining Swiss Re, he was head of Asia Pacific. As his previous roles have suggested, Moses has worked in a number of geographical locations to include Singapore, the Americas, and Europe, where he is currently based. So it's all about reassurance, risk management, and planning today. We will delve into the future of the industry, what potential collaborations and alliances will be formed, what challenges await the and the effect COVID-19 has had on the sector, not just financially, but on the decisions going forward. Has the pandemic presented opportunities? Let's find out. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Moses to Headstock. Honoured and delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much, Elaine. Delighted to be with you. So let's find out. My first question was mentioned right at the end of the introduction. It's about... Every cloud perhaps having a silver lining. Let's, for the first few questions, look at the industry and opportunities that were presented. So, has the pandemic enabled and presented new business opportunities for you and your industry? And if so, can you talk us through them? Elena, I think maybe first of all, I start by extending, of course, all of our sympathies as well as our concern for those who this pandemic have had a significant effect on. And let's also remember that we're still in the middle of it. It's still not uh, over just yet, you know. However, I mean, given the nature of it and the the systemic and global nature of the pandemic, uh, it clearly cost uh, just about every business in the world to rethink their models and to see how to address the concerns that uh, were raised, as well as to try and address uh, opportunities that have, have come out of this as well. I think the main uh, area I would point to in terms of opportunity, if I will call it that, uh, that the pandemic has, has highlighted, is the area of awareness. You know, so people all of a sudden being much more aware of either the importance of insurance, the fact that they actually did not have insurance, what they need to do uh, differently. And I think 
for the industry as a whole, we've sort of like taken that to say, you know, we've got to do a better job of, of making people much more aware and making sure that products uh, that the industry overall sells uh, is suitable for the needs of, uh, of its consumers. Uh, I think overall, what we expect this to do is if, uh, if we also look at some of the things that we've done through the, the, the pandemic, such as uh, becoming much more digital, uh, which address a lot of the reasons why there were on the, there was on the insurance or, or less take up for insurance in certain parts of the world, uh, such as the cost of the product, access uh, to, uh, to insurance, uh, how, mm -hmm. how the product is distributed, uh, the nature of the product themselves. I think digitalization allows us to address a lot of those issues. And over time, quite frankly, we should be able to reach more customers, uh, not just to the benefit of the insurance industry, but quite frankly, to benefit of society overall. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, thanks for bringing up digitalization. I'm gonna talk about that later in the um, episode, but um, as a counter question, what industry specific issues were raised as a result of the pandemic and during 2020? Well, I think in terms of uh, specific issues to the industry, a, a, a variety of them. I mean, like many industries, uh, the insurance industry is one that's sort of like very much reliant on being able to contact, be in contact with, uh, see people. Uh, and we all had to change. We all had to move to an environment that was much more virtual in nature. And I have to say, uh, if you had scripted what would happen before the, the pandemic mm -hmm. and what actually happened, you, uh, no one would have guessed that the industry, which is generally considered uh, not as advanced or stodgy, I, I think wrongfully so, uh, to see it move the way that it moved. I mean, mm -hmm. So not much was dropped in terms of uh, service qualities or service standards in terms of trying to serve, uh, uh, serve, serve the, the, the customers in the industry. Uh, and, and for me, that was one key uh, transition, but also other elements that have uh, uh, come about where questions around the capitalization of the industry, given the, the, uh, the financial uh, impact that uh, mm -hmm. COVID had itself. And you, we, we can see very clearly that the industry responded strongly with strong capitalization and companies like Swiss Re, extremely strong, not just Swiss Re, but the entire industry overall mm -hmm. uh, responded as well. Uh, I think there were also uh, questions about the degree of disruption that uh, was expected and, and that really didn't materialize again, a function of the industry, uh, the, the industry of the industry, I would say, uh, in mm -hmm. terms of people actually working extremely hard to ensure that uh, they met the needs of the customers, you know. So those were some of the challenges that I would say uh, came true uh, mm -hmm. and still evolving, by the way, uh, Elaine. Oh, yes, it's, we're still in the pandemic. Um, from what I gather from what you've, you've talked about, you, you talked about adaptability, you, you talked about strength, and it kind of nicely moves on to the, the next question, because I hear a lot and I read a lot about the constant use of the word resilience um, when, when talking about the insurance, reinsurance industry. So what does that actually mean? Um, would you say your industry has been resilient throughout this pandemic? And if so, can you provide my listeners with examples to illustrate this? Uh, sure, I would say the industry has been resilient. And, and I think we use the term resilience in the industry to sort of represent the fact that if you just simply look at the world overall, there are various elements of it that are uh, vulnerable and, and, and fragile, driven by a host mm -hmm. of things, whether they are natural catastrophes or man-made uh, uh, related events. But there's 
a series of things around the world that, that makes the world overall vulnerable. And I think the insurance industry tries to ensure that it, it sort of like provides resilience to the entire world in terms of when any of these events happen, you actually have an industry that comes alongside societies, businesses, individuals to ensure that it helps restore them to the states they were in prior to an event happen, happening. So this is where the term resilience comes from. And for us at Twistry, we actually take our mission to be one that uh, strives to make the world overall more resilient through our capital position, the, 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 the products that we, we, uh, we put in place, the knowledge that we garner to ultimately put in place the types of solutions that, that helps the world overall. And I think examples that I can, uh, 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 I can use uh, generally for the events that we've talked about if you take the pandemic itself, uh, extremely expensive uh, uh, for, the, for, the, for the global uh, economy and we see the damage that it's caused. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at uh, payouts from the insurance industry so far, it's over $25 billion uh, that have either been paid or, or reserved related to the pandemic itself. You look at other natural catastrophes that happened, you know, the year uh, 2020, mm -hmm. uh, if we just look at natural catastrophes or events overall, wreaked havoc to the, to, the, to the tune of almost $190 billion, uh, of which about $80 billion of that uh, was recovered from the insurance industry. So when we talk about resilience, this is what we talk about, our ability to come alongside and provide relief from a, from a capital standpoint, but then also the overall uh, infrastructure that we have in place mm -hmm. that helps the building. It's not just the financial piece, it's also the claims adjustment. It's also a series of other things that we do that allows people to, to get back on their feet relatively quickly. That's good. So actually, it's not just only resilience that was associated with the reassurance industry um, during last year. There was other perceptions. So let's look at... Um, the media coverage and, and what external individuals and organizations have seen or have perceived. Um, there's been another a number of articles um, about dispute claims and misunderstanding in terms of coverage and price. What is your industry doing to address this? And has this been relatively damaging to the industry, even if only reputational perception damage? Yeah, it's, it's a pity that uh, the, the focus is on, on the negative, right? I think as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, so far, the industry has either paid or reserved over $25 billion. Uh, 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 if, if we just talk about the pandemic uh, itself, if, if I look at a series of activities that not just the reinsurance, the insurance industry has put in place, you know, including liberalization of, of coverages around the entire world, you know, the benefits I have in, in working for Swissries, I can see what happens around the entire world, not just in one country. Mm -hmm. And I can see across the entire world that insurance companies, even where the contract, the insurance contract didn't exactly call for certain actions to be taken, uh, together with uh, uh, regulators have taken actions to benefit their customers, you know, through things like premium holidays, extensions of, mm -hmm. of, uh, of coverage, uh, relaxing of certain conditions to ensure that there was adequate coverage for, uh, uh, for, for customers. These are things that don't make it uh, to, the, to the front pages of yeah. the press, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but it clearly is an issue, you know, when the, the, the negative is highlighted. And I think, and, and when sometimes if that highlight happens to be 
on, on valid basis that it's not good for the image of the industry from, from a reputational standpoint, as you mentioned. But I see the industry doing a lot of different things, you know, from uh, putting in place uh, ombudsmen and, and complaints complaint procedures, yes, yes. Uh, uh, sort of like codes of, uh, of conduct around fairness and making sure that that's actually what drives everything that everyone does. And in certain places where uh, in, in an attempt to sort of cater to the needs of customers, uh, wordings of insurance contracts have changed uh, to things that may be a slightly uh, varied or esoteric and where you need more standardization so that there is clarity of what is expected across every country you know these are things that i think the industry is sort of like looking at to ensure that you know these gaps in coverage or gaps in expectation relative to what is is uh, provided by the policy is, is is addressed and i think one last point that i, that I would make on this point uh, elaine also relates to let's also not forget that you know when insurance policies are put in place they're put in place in a commensurate premium is charged. An insurance policy is never intended to cover every single thing that happens in the world. If, if, it, if it does that, it would be completely unaffordable. Mm -hmm. So I think the contract boundaries aligned with the premiums uh, are also important to, to make a bit more transparent. All right, all right. So the efforts to make that clearer. Um, I, I think you've put the, you know, bad news sells. We all know that. But I think you've put the um, the positive news in the industry quite comprehensively. So, so let's move on. Let's move on to a, a new set of questions. Um, we move into the sort of internal operations and um, strategic um, strategies or, or workings, if you like, in the industry and, and delve into um, some detail. The first question is an interesting one, and I'm fascinated by your response to this. So what are your concerns with interest rates as it stands at the moment and how does this affect the reinsurance industry? Currently it's low, it's quite low. Why is this an issue? What discussions are you having with your executive team? Perhaps first and briefly if you can elaborate to my listeners on why this is a potential issue for the industry and um, after you've done that, if you can explain what would a hike in the interest rate means to the industry and what are the plans if it remains low for a considerable period? Yeah, interest rates matter uh, very much uh, in, in, in insurance because you, uh, for, for any insurance company, when you look at the, 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 the balance sheet of an insurance company, you've, you've got the assets, you know, so mm -hmm. uh, which are there and, and ultimately you generate income from uh, from from assets or so when you look at the PL of a company it's made up of two components one is the investment returns uh, the other one relates to the technical returns uh, that that uh, 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 an insurance company any insurance company generates when you have uh, interest rates uh, a, a drop it clearly has an impact on the returns on the investment side now what all insurance companies will tend to do is make adjustments on the technical side to compensate for uh, the absence of, of, uh, of returns on the uh, interest on the interest side. You know, but beyond just the PL impact, it also has impacts on things like on the liability side. Uh, ultimately, uh, if interest rates rise or, or drop, it has an impact ultimately on how you value uh, a, a particular liability. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, you know, so from Swiss Street standpoint, interest rate has not just Swiss Street from the insurance industry standpoint, interest rates have a significant impact. And it's always, uh, always a topic of discussion on any management teams uh, 
agenda uh, as, as it's been in the case of uh, in the case of uh, of Swiss Re. Uh, just looking at the the current uh, uh, rates, uh, taking a view on the short, mid, and long term. You know, so we have uh, scenarios that we always plan for, uh, and on the basis of those plannings, we determine where we should allocate capital and what returns we expect from those capital, uh, where, what interest rates we expect and how that impacts our assets, how that impacts our, our liability, and we make the appropriate uh, adjustments. Uh, our view is when you just simply listen to central bankers around the entire world and monetary policy that's been rolled out, interest rates will stay low for the short to medium term. There's just not a chance that it goes up. Right? If you just simply look at the uh, economic activity uh, that uh, has taken a hit and the fact that economies need to be stimulated and one way to do that is through uh, interest rates. So they will, they will stay at that sort, of a, that sort of a level, but it's for us to make the appropriate adjustments on the technical side to make sure that we can balance these two things out. Right, okay, okay, next. Um, we know COVID has expedited a, a lot of things uh, and perhaps that is true to roles within your industry. How do you think the, the role of the main players in the insurance value chain will evolve going forward? Additionally, what role will technology play in this relationship? You talked about it briefly at the beginning. Yeah, I, I think what uh, I, think, I think you use the right word, uh, Elaine, which is uh, exped, ex, ex, expedition, right? I mean, so uh, COVID clearly has lots of things and, and ideas and thoughts that uh, people had. Uh, we, Quite frankly, no one had a choice but to make an adjustment. And I think the adjustment that the industry has made, I think will benefit the, the consumer at the end of the day, because it, it, in, in my mind, it, it, it has the potential to take away lots of barriers uh, that were in place that, that made it a bit difficult for the industry to reach the total population in the entire world, as opposed to only those who fit certain criteria. You know, so we can begin to tackle some of these elements that create what in Swiss we, we tend to refer to as a protection gap, you know, which is this gap between uh, economic activity uh, and coverage that's actually in place. And that gap is quite significant. It runs into the trillions of dollars. Uh, so uh, technology and digitalization allows us to actually begin to break some of those barriers down, barriers of access to, to end consumers, design of products, uh, bringing in uh, insights uh, and analysis from a data standpoint that allows you to price products in a different way, they construct the products uh, to, to then sell in a way that meets the needs of a consumer in terms of where they are, as opposed to only fitting the needs of the industry. So I think technology allows us to begin to, to advance and expedite a lot of these elements, you know, which is an exciting period, both okay. for the uh, insurance industry as well as for the end consumer. As you've talked about, your, your industry is very adaptable. Um, sticking with internal operations and strategies and focusing purely, purely um, on this revolution with your answer, what is the impact of the drive for digitalization on the traditional business model? You know, um, is there a need to adapt your services offering a, uh, as a result, you know, cyber risk packages and, and are reinsurers themselves using digitalization to transform their own business? For example, please, please tell us about the, the Swiss Re new digital partnership with Diameter Health. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think uh, uh, the, the, 
industries using digitalization to transform itself. I mean, if I look at Swiss Re itself, I mean, I, we, we have a technology strategy which has four, uh, 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 four main theses around them. And the first of those theses is how we use technology to transform ourselves. Uh, and the second is then the things that we do to ourselves, the solutions that we provide for Swiss Re, we then package those to also provide for our customers, uh, we embrace the utilization of data and then we see how technology allows us to create uh, uh, new businesses. You know, for me, I think for the industry overall, what digitalization does, uh, it allows the industry, in my view, to become much more customer centric, uh, to focus ultimately on the needs of the customers, how they want to be served uh, and making sure that we put in place offerings that address uh, ultimately how they want to be served. And another key element in my mind is, you know, when we simply look at the cost of operating for insurance companies, certainly our own thesis and our own view at Swissery is that it's way too high in terms of when you look at the cost of the good that you sell to the, to the customer, uh, the cost of producing that good, you know, which, which are the various expenses and commissions that are part of the, the, the ultimate cost of the product is too high. And we believe that digitalization allows uh, for some of those to come down, which ultimately should reduce the, end, the cost of the end product, which should make it more affordable to more people uh, at the end of the day. And, and for Swiss Re, uh, Elaine, you mentioned sort of like the partnership we have with uh, yes. Diametel. Uh, and such a partnership is just one of the many ways in which we yes. embrace advancements brought on by technology. And we've got a myriad of these partnerships uh, with practically every major uh, technology or analytical company uh, uh, in the world. And for us, it's a way of trying to ensure we break down some of the traditional barriers. You know, so the partnership with Diameter, Diameter Health itself, one of the key issues in health insurance or life insurance, when you try to take out the policies, you have to underwrite the individual. And that means looking at the medical records. And I don't know about uh, you, but certainly when I look at the, the, the notes that my doctor writes, it's almost impossible to, <laughs> to read the handwriting. And what Diameter Health tries to do is you take a way to digitize that and to organize it in a way that tells a cleaner story that makes it far more efficient. You know, so when you then nice. apply for life insurance policy or health insurance policy, as opposed to waiting for three weeks or one month for someone to review all of those records, we can do it in a much quicker way, uh, which then means it's cheaper and should be trans should translate to how the to ultimately how the product itself costs. And there are myriad of these uh, partnerships that we've done. ICI is another one that where we look at satellite data allows us to be able to see uh, uh, flawed uh, how uh, uh, different neighborhoods are susceptible to the peril of flawed and be able to provide insurance coverage and to be able to try and determine the price much quicker. So there's a series of, of these partnerships that are exciting for the industry and should, should mm -hmm. transform mm -hmm. how we assess risk uh, and do it in a way that's efficient and do it in a way that's, mm -hmm. that's cheaper for the customer as well. Okay, so, so while, while you've highlighted the, the positives of digitalization in your business, does digitalization itself create new risk coverage needs, new types of risk coverage? It certainly does. I mean, I, I think you, uh, sorry, I didn't address the point uh, you, you, you made earlier around cyber risks. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so it, it clearly does, Elaine. I mean, because if, if we just we, we live in a world that is, you know, interconnecting at a at a scary pace, right? I mean, they're just the interconnectedness of the entire world is brings some tremendous advantages, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it brings uh, some severe risks as well. And cyber risk is, is one of those in in its various formats. There's a, a lot around cyber risk that is we feel is very insurable because you can determine exactly what the exposure is for an individual, for a company, uh, for whatever it is, and figure out what the price should be and uh, provide the right level of protection. But with this level of interconnectedness, you also have an element of systemic risk that can be global in nature. You know, so not unlike what we've seen with the pandemic. Uh, which was systemic for the globe overall. You know, if you just simply look at the interconnectedness of it around the entire world, cyber risk presents some similar types of risks, which makes it very difficult for the insurance industry to say they're the sole or lone provider of solutions. Uh, because if you can imagine if, if uh, uh, you have an event that then impacts customers, not just in Switzerland where I'm based, but at exactly the same time, it shuts down the systems of almost all companies around the entire world. The economic consequence of something like that is humongous. And, mm-hmm. and our view clearly is that the only way you can address uh, such, such an exposure, what we'll call the aggregation exposures, is by having some sort of government backstop because the capital that sits in the insurance or insurance industry is not enough mm-hmm. uh, to sustain uh, the, uh, uh, such an extreme impact, you know. So you're right. Some certain risks come come with it, and mm-hmm. we have the ability to, uh, uh, in, in a sense, indemnify some of those risks and also provide remediation services for some of those risks, but not for everything in its entirety. Now, um, uh, let's look at big fundamental changes and the future of the industry. You've mentioned um, a couple of points that I'd like to touch upon, and uh, forgive me if I repeat them, but um, I think it's important before we go on to the questions. Perhaps um, we will touch upon, you know, you mentioned the public-private partnerships and other forms of collaborations to be agreed. Um, This surely because of the enormity, surely because the insurance industry will not have the financial capacity for another pandemic or other large um, disasters, such as, as we just talked about, cyber attacks. First and general, um, what in your view are the big factors that will change the reinsurance model going forward? And I'll, and I'll ask the, um, the other specific questions thereafter. Yeah, if you don't mind for a minute, Elaine, uh, before answering uh, uh, the question, if I, if I just address or correct one, 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 one point made, mm-hmm. the insurance industry has responded to the pandemic uh, uh, event that we are facing right now in terms of COVID. And it's not a, an albatross. It's not sort of like a, an event that was not expected. I mean, we have models uh, which have proven, quite frankly, to correlate with what we expected. I think the one element that wasn't factored in our models was the fact that we ex- that governments in a systematic way shut down right. businesses across the entire world, which then created a certain amount of loss that was unanticipated. But the other losses on the on the life side, or uh, for event cancellation, for mm-hmm. a, a host of other elements, the industry expected that the models are in place. All, all most insurance companies and insurance companies have pandemic models, and 
and also uh, uh, expect to, to pay out in such events because they are not so, so, so rare by their nature. I just wanted to correct uh, any perception related to that one piece, which is very different from the systemic risk I spoke about around cyber. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. So uh, the big factors, what's going to really change in your reinsurance model going forward? Yeah, I, I think the big factors, if you, if you look at the insurance or insurance industry at the end of the day, I mean, I think three, four, about four, four major things uh, uh, impact the industry. One clearly is, uh, Customers, you, you, you clearly need customers and how you acquire customers. And there's a myriad of ways in which uh, customers are acquired uh, 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 today. You know, and technology in my view will change that significantly from sort of like the agent, sort of like face-to-face -to, -face to people opting more for self-service type model. And the industry has to be prepared for that. Now, there's an element that relates to knowledge, uh, which is, it's an industry that deals with risk and in order to to provide coverage, you have to understand the risk. It, it means you've got to spend a lot of money on R&D on innovation to try to understand the risk better. Uh, and the risk itself uh, continues to change and will continue to change from things like uh, the interconnectedness of the world and the impact on things like supply chain mm -hmm. uh, to things like climate change uh, and how you then see the prevalence of what we call secondary perils, things like uh, bushfires and flooding uh, being much more prevalent to demographic change uh, around the entire world, large parts of the world getting older. So the understanding of that risk and the knowledge around it, I think, becomes super important. Uh, to the two other factors relates to how much capital uh, the industry comes into the industry uh, to be able to sort of like support its business. And the last piece is regulation. Uh, how regulators and governments around the entire world uh, see uh, their borders or see the, the, the boundaries around insurance. And these four elements are, are changing clearly, morphing yes. one way yes. or, or another, uh, ultimately. So those would be four big ones, I would say, Elaine. That's great. And if, if you don't mind, if I, I dissect a couple of them um, for you to answer. With the demographics, what exactly is the risk there? Yeah, the, the, the risk with demographics at, at the end of the day is you, if you have one set of uh, demographics, if I can use that word again, uh, around the entire world, as uh, birth rates uh, change around the mm -hmm. entire world and different countries uh, begin to age at different paces, you know, the big question mark is what is the risk that sits there, right? You know, what, what's the... Uh, 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 resulting risk that, that, that exists. And I think with aging societies, you know, people begin to worry much more about, you know, as they get older, how do they fund uh, the, the latter parts of their lives? You know, so products around longevity uh, become much more prevalent, you know, especially at a time when uh, around the entire world, you move away from sort of like defined benefit type pension programs to defined mm -hmm. contribution programs. You know, people have to worry about you know, what happens uh, uh, much later. And, in, and within certain societies, you also have uh, the, the, the manner in which uh, this funding is done, uh, being driven mostly by the working population. And as that population dwindles, how do you deal with it? You know, so there are mm -hmm. different issues that comes with this, uh, with the changes in demographic. Also, uh, the interconnectedness between developing and 
uh, uh, developed walls as well because the 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 the, the replenishment of population at this particular point mm -hmm. uh, is coming mostly from emerging walls and not from developed walls. You know, so the insurance industry also has to respond to this dynamic. Okay, and and, and just one other sub point um, before I move on to the next question. You talked about the four big factors of, of change. Um, can you really prepare for this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we, you, we, we have to. I mean, the, the nature of our, of our business is to look at trends, to understand them, to determine what sort of solutions we need to put in place to help society and the world prepare uh, for, for some of these trends. But there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that we can prepare for them. And it's, it's exactly why a company like Swiss Re and the entire industry itself exists. You know, we, we have specialists and, and uh, 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 folks who spend their entire time researching most of these elements. If you take uh, the one I talked about in terms of climate change and secondary perils, you know, we've got uh, all forms, all manner and forms of scientists who are gathering data, who are thinking about the impact and ultimately determine the right set of models to determine exactly the right pricing for some of this exposure, but also uh, working together with governments to alert them to some of the risks that are coming through. Uh, again, highlighting the fact that you cannot rely just on only insurance. Uh, there are government policies that are required in certain places, partnerships that are required in other, in other areas, but also the industry making sure that it's aware of some of this risk and making sure that the models reflect this exposure uh, uh, as well. Okay, and uh, sorry, let me just throw in an, another um, quick sub question to this. There will be increasing working with governments, increasing public sector involvement. Um, how will that look like? Or what would that look like? I, I, I think it depends on the underlying on uh, uh, topic itself. I mean, m multiple uh, companies around uh, insurance companies around the world work with governments. And for us, we, we've got a public sector solutions division, uh, which has been in place for over uh, a couple of decades. You know, So we didn't just start uh, working with, with governments on putting in place uh, solutions. And those solutions have always been about the resilience of societies, right? You know, so whether it's the, it relates to products around uh, agriculture or whether it relates to products around public health, products around infrastructure that government wants to, to put in place. It's, it's getting ultimately the government to understand some of the risks that it carries on its balance sheet, knowingly or unknowingly, and how does it fund some of those risks. And then also letting governments know the risks that society overall bears and which portion the private sector can address and which portion it simply cannot address. But the, 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 the frameworks and mechanisms for working with governments uh, are in place. You know, so as I mentioned, individual companies do it, but also associations within the insurance industry uh, also have outreach programs working with bodies like the UN, uh, Geneva Association, different entities around the entire world, and also within individual governments as well to set up the right, uh, the, the right solutions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, um, let's look at leadership to end this episode of Heads Talk. Um, it would be an understatement to say that 2020 has been a challenging year for leaders and we're still not out of the woods yet. You mentioned that, Moses. 
I'd like to ask you, Moses, what would you say as a result of this pandemic were the lessons learned in your role as a CEO of Swiss Re Reinsurance? What are your takeaways as a leader? Uh, I, I guess the question is how much time do you have, Elaine? <laughs> uh, you know, Can you I give mean, us a summary? <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think I will try. I mean, I, I think anyone who sort of says that they were completely uh, prepared could foresee all of this, uh, well, uh, I, I say they're blessed, let me put it that way. Uh, you know, certainly from my own perspective, I think, I, think, I think like many of my colleagues, we've had to learn and we've had to learn very, very quickly. Uh, and, and from my perspective, I think two things probably uh, jumped to mind. Uh, two things were critical during uh, this particular uh, uh, event that we've, we've gone through and we continue to go through. I, I think the first of, of which is sort of the, the degree to which we had to think uh, about the well-being of colleagues uh, that mm -hmm. I had the privilege of leading uh, was, was raised quite a few notches because ordinarily you would not sort of like uh, spend a ton of time sort of like thinking about how someone lives and uh, because that's private. It's, it's private and most people sort of like draw that line between their private lives and, and, and their work lives. And those lines were significantly blurred and the concept of the well-being of our workforce was super high and remained super high on our agenda. And that covered everything in terms of how they work, their mental health, uh, all the elements that, 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 that was related. You know? So that blurring had to come and we, we needed to get comfortable uh, with asking questions. We needed to get comfortable with making sure we provided solutions that ordinarily you would not think about. So for me, that was, that was one. Uh, uh, one key learning. The other was, you know, in the midst of, you know, if we call it a crisis, uh, super important to be very clear about what your priorities are because they're conflicting priorities. And if you spread yourself across all and every single one of those questions, there is no way you do well, you know? So the ability to pick based on well-informed uh, information that's, that's, that's provided, you know, what those key priorities are for the company and also for the workforce was super important uh, uh, for me. So, so I'll probably take this as the two main things. There's a myriad of other things, but these two areas, I, I would say, for me, were important. I've learned a lot and, and, and will, will make me a much better leader uh, going forward. Indeed, indeed. Moses Odesekoba, it's been a pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you very much, Elaine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.